Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's ride. for the words that are recited before each and every game here at Dodger Stadium. Take it away, Finn. It's time for Dodger Baseball. What's going on, Dodgers fans? Hope you are all doing well out there. Your Los Angeles Dodgers are on the verge of picking up their 108th win on the season, extending their all-time franchise record. We are going to discuss that in a few minutes, what that means to be a Dodgers fan. As someone just hit a home run. Will Smith. What is that? Home run number 24? 24. 24. Yes. So now the Dodgers take a 5-2 lead. And if they hold on to win this game, we are recording in the final game of the regular season series between the Dodgers and Padres. They'll, they would have won the season series 14 games to five, not losing one series whatsoever to those San Diego Padres. I'm joined by David Rosenthal, Jake Reiner, and Chris Camello. So I'm pumped to have you all with me. This is Kevin Klein. Let's start with the most recent game here Thursday evening. Bruce Stargrado. Gratterall was the opener. He gave up two runs. You could argue some bad defense by Trey Turner and a odd call on the shift, forcing Chris Taylor to not get that ball is why the two runs scored in the first inning, giving the Padres a two nothing lead. But then Andrew Heaney came out of the bullpen, pitched innings two through five, gave up no runs over the four innings, six strikeouts, disgusting stuff from Chris sale light. So I like that. I think he'll have some presence coming out of the pen come postseason time. And then I can't wait to talk about Miguel Vargas in a second, but let me uh, get some of your guys' thoughts in here. Let's start with Chris Camello. Chris, thank you so much for joining us again. We love having you. What are your thoughts on this Dodgers team? Give me a, give me a takeaway there. Throw out a player that you want to discuss as well. So well, that's how we're going to get the ball rolling tonight. On the well, for, well, first of all, thank you, Kevin. Uh, pleasure to be on with you guys. Always a pleasure to talk Dodger baseball. Yes, this has been a very special year. Uh, 107 wins, and it came in a bizarre fashion. Their Achilles heel, which has been what, guys? Close games and extra inning games. And they exercised their demons and extended the franchise record all in one shot. So shout out to the Dodgers. I also... 
I don't think this has been talked about enough. I'm not going to talk about a player. I'm going to talk about a manager, Dave Roberts. I like it. it it's <laughs> about time for all the critiques that we've had, the bad management calls, the bad uh, lineup changes, the bad uh, bullpen calls, whatever you want to say through the years. Fact is the guy is one. You know what I mean? Not even Joe Torrey can say I've had three straight or three out of four years. We're, we're not counting the, the COVID year, obviously in 2020, since it was only 60 games where you have won three straight 106 win seasons. I mean, that is just absurd. And a lot of people say, well, they got the talent They're, They got all this big money talent. And who's putting these, these relievers in the best position to be successful through all the injuries that they've had this year to starters, to relievers, to position players. And not just this year, all five, all five or six years of his tenure as Dodger manager, he has dealt with a barrage of injuries. And yet this team manages to constantly win triple digits, win division titles, get into the postseason. And yeah, you, you want to critique October, go ahead. Well, we're just talking about February through September. Let's keep our focus on that because what they're doing right now, make all the excuses you want, all the fine print, all the asterisks you want. You can't argue with the results. So shout out to Dave Roberts. He has done a tremendous job getting the best out of all of these players and having them adopt the next man up mentality. I think you brought up a good point, Chris. And I will say up to this point in the season, this feels like Dave Roberts' best season managing the Dodgers. So I'm going to give you that. That's a big W. I don't think he'll win manager of the year, though. I think they're going to give it to Buck Showalter. Uh, also, just minus the stuff on the field, just his ability to keep a sane clubhouse. There's never any drama coming out of that clubhouse. And he just does a terrific job of keeping all of those egos in check. That is not an easy job. And I think that that is why they're, they've kept him around as long as, as they have, because he is just so good at managing players and making sure that, you know, everybody is on the same page and he's also not afraid kind of, you know, this year calling out guys when they're not performing uh, Cody Bellinger being one of them, uh, Craig Kimbrell, removing him as the closer. I mean, those, those are really hard and tough decisions to make. And I'm really glad that he's made them because uh, he, he knows how important it is to win a world series with the, with this squad. And he's going to, you know, hopefully put the best roster together for the postseason. Yeah, I mean, those meetings he had with individual players that they didn't actually disclose who it was. That was, I think, right after that sweep against the Giants or maybe right before. Yeah, That had to have been in late May or June, but I think that was really the turning point of the Dodger season. Uh, David, anything else you want to add? I mean, he deserves a lot of credit. There's no doubt for that. I, You know, he, he does also need to win this year, uh, and it's not all on him. Uh, it's obviously going to be on the players, but he needs to not lose it is, is my main takeaway. Uh, he, he, he deserves another title. I mean, there's, he kind of got cheated in, in 2017, 2018. Uh, I still think they would have lost in 2018 either way. Uh, but he need he needs another one and he needs it soon. Ideally this year. Yeah. I want to bring up a player cause I actually didn't expect him to be a topic on the show, but tonight was his legacy moment. I am referring to the one and only Miguel Vargas who came up big in the sixth inning for the Dodgers Thursday evening with two outs as Joe Davis, who stole it from Vince Scully said the deuces were wild two on two out, two strikes, uh, two, two game, Miguel Vargas coming up clutch, driving home two Dodgers and bye-bye Alberto, because you're going to be in the dugout. This is Miguel <laughs> Vargas's spot. 
I'm sorry. Everything that Alberto offers to the Dodgers is next to nothing. I'm trusting the upside with Miggy. He is white hot right now. He got his first career home run just a few days ago. White now hot. I, I don't know about that, but okay. Yeah. Turn in the corner. A bit of a reach. Bit of a yeah, reach yeah. there, Kev. I, I, you know. <laughs> let me just say this. He needs to start every game for the rest of the season. Miguel Vargas needs to start every single game for the rest of the season so we can find out what, what's there and if it's worth being on the postseason roster. You mix in off days for everybody else. He needs to start, whether it be it's at third base, first base, left field, DH, whatever. If you're actually going to consider him putting, on the, putting him on the postseason roster, his ass needs to be in the lineup every day for the rest of the regular season. Yeah, it needs to be there, definitely. And that's what they're doing. It's very telling. The writing is on the wall when they're not even starting Hanser Alberto against left-handed starters, and they're not bringing him in to face left-handed relievers, yet Miguel Vargas is in there. They kind of hinted it uh, right before September call-ups when they alluded to saying, well, we're going to add Miguel Vargas. Clearly, they see something in him. I mean, he's a top prospect for a reason. He had a great season in AAA. We've seen a full year's worth of Alberto. Not only is he bad with the bat, the OPS is horrendous. He's a bad defender. So what value does he bring when you have a guy like Miguel Vargas, who's already displaying great flashes of a future great career to come. So that's where I stand. I think they give him the last spot because there could be a situation where I said it like a week ago, somehow Joey Gallo comes into the game. Now he's facing a left-handed pitcher. Do you want Alberto batting in that spot? No, you go on Miguel Vargas. Yeah, I, I like Miguel Vargas. I think the potential is definitely there. Uh, the, you know, and we've kind of seen the Dodgers do this throughout their history. Remember Blake DeWitt? He was on the team in 2008, a rookie, kind of a late season call up, but established himself and ended up being an everyday starter. Joe Torre made him the everyday starter at second base. And we saw uh, Gavin Lux was on the postseason roster in 2019. And, you know, and Gavin wasn't exactly tearing it up either. I mean, he didn't end the season hot and he was getting a good amount of starts in that uh, divisional round series against the Washington Nationals. He had a homer in that series. Yeah, but David, I do agree with you at this point, you know, and I said this the final two weeks of the season, this is going to be like spring training. These final two weeks, I mean, granted, I know Dodger Twitter always gets pissy every time this team loses a game or whatever, but you're also got to understand Dave is tweaking things. Dave, Dave is almost using this as a, an audition. Who wants to make this team in October? If you perform, you're going to have a shot. If you don't, you're not. You're going to be either taking an early vacation in Cancun or, you know, joining Hanser Alberto in the dugout uh, as a glorified cheerleader. That's pretty much what you're going to do at this point, which is not a bad job either. I mean, hell, Lakers won a championship with Jared Dudley on their bench, and he provided a leader, leadership in the locker room. Those things help. Providing Mark, that levity. Mark Madsen. Mark Madsen, exactly. Uh, early 2000 Lakers. So, uh, but yes, I do like this kid's potential. He's solid uh, defensively. I, I still think they're playing him out of position a little bit, but uh, ultimately I think this was a big night for him, for his confidence and for the team's confidence in him. And once again, making Dave's job just a little bit tougher on uh, how he's, how this postseason roster is going to shake out. Here at the Incline Dodgers, we are so pumped to be brought to you by TickPick. Download the app TickPick or go to TickPick.com to purchase tickets to a Dodgers home game. I mean, there's only six of them left. Go to a concert, go to a musical, go to an NFL game, go to any sporting event because TickPick is offering our listeners a chance to save $10 using the promo code INCLINE, promo code INCLINE, all caps, 
on any first-time purchase of $49 or more. So go to TickPick, where you're going to get great customer service, quick checkout, and no service fees. So you are paying the price that you see over at TickPick, proud supporter of the Incline Dodgers podcast. We have a Twitter question. We got a good, a good amount this week. So thank you guys so much. We always appreciate it, our loyal listeners. Not a familiar name, but Roscoe X Sweat asking the show, realistically, does Craig Kimbrell make the postseason roster? My opinion's been pretty firm for months now, but our resident Kimbrell defender, David Rosenthal, has your stance changed? Uh, regrettably to... My own soul, yes, it has. Uh, I mean, I think the three-two pitch to—I forget who he walked. Jorge Alfaro. Yeah, you can't. You just can't walk him. You just can't. Worst case scenario, you throw it right down the dick of the plate. If he hits it, he hits it. If not, you win. But you can't walk him there. You just can't. And you could see it uh, when he released the ball. He—he really doesn't have a clue where it's going. There is, there is little to no command. Uh, it, it sucks because his stuff is still electric, but the, the location of it is disastrous. So I, I don't see how you can really trust him in any spot that isn't garbage time. So I, I do think he, he will get left off the roster, especially with the emergence of Tommy Canely and Yency Almonte being back. Yep. We'll dive into those guys momentarily, but on the Kimbrel front, six and seven on the season, those seven losses actually ties the Dodgers team lead in losses with Julio Arias. You never want to have that many losses from your closer. And literally one of the reasons he has one of those six wins came about a week ago when he blew a save and then Mookie Betts walked (laughs) it off against the Arizona Diamondbacks to give him a default win. Yeah. So as David mentioned, he walked Jorge Alfaro, a guy who, never walked i think he hadn't drawn a walk in like two months if i recall from the broadcast (laughs) had like five all season he's a a backup catcher yeah i mean the curveball is there but he can't locate it to save his life for the most part he's got no chase whatsoever in his advanced stats a high walk rate which is scary from a closer and when batters are making contact with his pitches they're getting hit hard and they're getting barreled up 402 era ain't gonna cut it Jake Reiner, uh, what are your thoughts on Kimbrell or the Dodgers bullpen? What we saw the other night just cannot, cannot happen in the postseason. And I don't even want a scenario in which that could potentially happen. If you know that there's a guy on your team that can do this and he's had a large sample size to work with because they've given him every opportunity possible to solidify himself as the closer of this team. And it looked like for a couple of weeks there, there was a good like nine outing stretch where he didn't give up a run and he looked quite sharp, but everything outside of that one uh, chunk of time has been disastrous. So he's got to be left off this postseason roster. And I commend Dave Roberts for saying what he said before that moment in San Diego, which was that he basically removed Kimbrell as the closer of this team. And I think that the Dodgers have a lot of other options that couldn't, that can fill that role. And by going by committee, they open themselves up to the matchup game, which they love. And I don't think that this team is designed to have just one guy 
be the guy at the end at the at the back end of the game because for the longest time it was Kenley Jansen and there was a lot of emotional connection to, to Kenley Jansen between Dave Roberts, Kenley and also the team and you kind of had to throw him out there yeah. uh, regardless of if if he was good or not. And same thing with Kimbrell. He's got that legacy. Everyone likes to always talk about he's the active saves leader. If I hear that one more goddamn time, I swear to God, it is the most like, okay, great. You know, what have you done for me lately? What have you done for us this season? And he just hasn't lived up to anything. And so to get that traditional closer out of the way, it we're, it's going to free up so much more for this team. And I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because I've said that while I've defended him on this podcast for months now is there is no emotional attachment to Craig Kimbrell. There isn't. And with Kenley Jansen, we saw it. It was painful for the Dodgers and Dave Roberts to, to even say anything. I don't even think he said anything like he said about Kimbrell when they eventually kind of steered away from him in 2020. But with Kimbrell, it's, he's just a guy. It's his first year on the team. There's no emotional attachment. If you're not going to perform, you're not going to get put in that role. And that's what, that's what we finally saw. You know, it took till mid September to see it. They let it happen for pretty much the entire season. Like you said, there was that one stretch, uh, where he did pitch really well, but it's important to, to, to note that, uh, that there is no emotional attachment, which is why this was a, a smooth process and credit to Craig, Craig Kimbrell for taking it on the chin. He goes out there to tells reporters, I got to pitch better. I fucked up whatever it is. He, he's taking responsibility for his struggles, which frankly is something we did not see from Kenley Jansen for a large part of his, his, his struggles. So Chris, I wanted to get your thoughts on Craig Kimbrell. You're usually a pretty mellow guy <laughs> online, but I've noticed you've had some opinions on this Dodgers reliever. So you think he's making the postseason roster? For what? I mean, at this, <laughs> I mean I'm sorry. I'm sorry to sound like, like a you-know-what, but for what at this point? Seriously, all these guys in this series, Yancy Almonte didn't pitch for, what, six, seven weeks? He was almost out damn near two months. Comes in against the top of the order, retires aside in order. Chris Martin has been great in high leverage situations. Tommy Canely got the save last night, pitched brilliantly. So at this point, and who knows what the situation is with Trinan, that's going to already going to make the job more difficult. I have given Craig Kimbrell every benefit of the doubt. I mean, there's only six guys in the history of Major League Baseball who's got more saves than him. So he's been doing it at a high level for a long time. But once again, no command of the fastball, no command of the slider, non-competitive pitches. The scouting report's easy. Let him beat himself. That's what I would say to every opposing hitter. Let him beat himself. If it's in the zone, ambush it. If it's out of the zone, spit on it. That's what it is. He has no control at this point. And if Josh Bard, the bullpen coach, and Mark Pryor, the pitching coach, can't get the best out of you, then in the words of Joe Pesci, I guess the effing thing is broken from my cousin <laughs> Vinny. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it. I think the Dodgers bullpen is figured out at this point that the only question mark is, does Dustin may get that last spot? If no, then I really don't know who they would give it to Bickford who's injured. So I don't think even he's eligible. Well, no, I mean, if you're taking Kimbrell off, you're adding Canely on. So, yeah. oh, okay. Kenley. Well then the Tommy problem's Kenley, solved. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But so, I'm, so I'm factoring in, you know, Canely for Kimbrell, but then I'm still including may and Heaney on there. So I'm assuming if you're going with Phillips, Vessia, Martin, Canely, Ferguson, Gratterall, and Almonte, 
You can't have May, Heaney, and Gonsolin. One of those guys is getting left off. All right. Well, then I guess it sounds like it's Dustin May for right now. It's possible. I mean, it's a tough call either way. I have a suggestion for Dustin May. It goes back to David's theory. Put him in there in, in the bullpen, in the late innings, and see what he can do. That's, that's where I think he's going to pay off dividends. Well, you know how last year Dave got two innings out of Bruce Star Gratterall because Bruce Star was getting three outs on like seven, eight pitches. Mm-hmm. Ideally, that's what you would want from Dustin May. Obviously, not maybe not uh, as few pitches as Gratterall, but you understand the concept. Power arm gives me, if, I, if a starter goes five, I now don't need to burn an extra arm. I go, whoever gives me five innings, bridge is Dustin May. And then now you have your big arms in the latter innings. The pro- problem is you can't bring him back in the regular season. His regular season's over. So that, that'd be a fully playoff experimental situation, which is tough to do. That's right. He's still on the IL. It's tough to trust that right now. I mean, I love, I would love it if he was healthy now, uh, but throwing that in the fire without any, you know, data to, to go off of, is, is it going to be a tough call? Maybe for the NLCS, I could see it happening but I don't think that's going to be the role in, in the uh, NLDS. Well, I've been the only one here who actually has projected Dustin May to just be a reliever the rest of the way. I Before the season started, I said he would be like an Julio Urias out of the bullpen, and I'm standing by that. There's no way you can get him built up now to be a starter, and with Tony Gonsolin coming back, and I think he'll be healthy, Dustin May is that guy. He is the X factor. You bring him in the seventh or the eighth, you hope he just lays it all out there, throws 101 mile per hour gas, and that should be enough. He doesn't have to worry about endurance and pitching for the long haul. He can just lay it out out there, throw 20 something plus pitches and call it a night. You do that once per series. Maybe when we get to the best of seven, you got him in the early part and in the later half and you should be good. Miguel, you Dave asking us who should close. And I think it's unanimous here. It'll be a bullpen by committee at the closer and, just in general, that Wednesday evening game where the Dodgers pulled pulled away with that one nothing victory through ten innings, I might add one nothing. That's pretty big. That this it might be the best Dodgers bullpen we've ever seen. I mean, after Julio Urias completely shoved, went six shutout innings. We'll talk more about him in a second. We saw Evan Phillips come out of the pen. He's posting a one eighteen ERA over sixty one innings this season. That's your highest of all high leverage guys right there. Yancy Almonte back off the IL. I mean, he's rocking a 111 ERA this season. And then Alex Vesia, one of the most under the radar, best dominant lefties in the sport. He's 5 0 with a 129 ERA over his last 28 innings pitched with 45 strikeouts. And then Tommy Canley, thank goodness he was able to come off the IL and contribute. Opponents are hitting 074 against his changeup so far this season with a 39% whiff rate. And you can just see it with the eye test. That changeup is as disgusting as it might be in the sport. The at bat, the at bat with Grisham was where you really saw how disgusting that changeup was because it moved from one side of the plate to the other, and then away from his bat. It was it was incredible. I don't know what Grisham was doing trying to lay down a bunt there, but (laughs) um, but anyway, just the fact that Tommy Canely. Has And you kind of pointed it out, Kev, I didn't want to steal your thunder, but you made a good point the other day where you said it's kind of like he's the he's the Knable of this year where Knable came back off off the IL 
and he looked really good. The Dodgers are using him, you know, in high leverage, but also to open games. And he, he ended up pitching really well down the stretch. Canely has kind of had that. And, and that was, and I said it to you guys, that was a test for Tommy Canely to come in with a one run lead and, and the ghost runner, which by the way, they're not going to be dealing with that in the playoffs, but still dealing with the ghost runner, not allowing that run to score, closing the game, shutting the door, no drama. That's what you want in any of your pitchers when they go out there in the ninth inning is no, none of that drama. You know, you knew with Kimber going out there, there were going, there's going to be traffic and you're going to have to sweat it out. And the rest of the bullpen though, has not been that at all. It's been very workmanlike, especially Evan Phillips. He too, under the radar, not a lot of people know him around the league, except you're, if you're a Dodgers fan and he has been unhittable this year and, and, and it kind of care. It's been carried over from last year. And that was on a back-to-back last night from Tommy Canley as well. So that's a, that's another test that he passed. Yeah, and with Canley, clearly the Dodgers believed in this guy because they gave him a two-year contract, completely eating the first year as he was rehabilitating from Tommy John surgery, probably going through the prior lab. And then he came back in early May. We only got a little glimpse of what Canley could provide. I know he had that one hiccup in Pittsburgh. He gave up the go-ahead home run, and then he got hurt. Missed a number of months, but now he's back and he looks great. He's definitely a lock to make the postseason rota- uh, postseason bullpen at this point. I, I don't think there's any dispute with, we already wrote off Kimbrell. Phil Bickford's on the IL. He's having shoulder issues. He's kind of been hit or miss all season two, giving up a ton of long balls. And then he didn't pitch in the game, but how about that? Just pickup of Chris Martin. He's yep. three and three and one with the Dodgers. 159 ERA in this uniform. He's only issued one walk so far. The complete opposite of Kimbrough, who issues like one walk a game. And he's got a 0485 whip, which means he's pitching a clean inning just about every other inning. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take my fat L with that one. Um, I totally whiffed on that. Did not think he was that good. He's better than that. So and he's been great, and he's just been another another weapon out of that pen and that that i i think i think it's true kevin because to me the only reason to have kimberl on the roster is to eat innings you know be a garbage man but other than that i don't want him anywhere near any type of an important important spot i mean this is a good problem to have right now it really is i'd rather have david price on the postseason roster than craig kimberl i think david price could actually I think David, I mean, at least David Price could actually, you know, throw a strike here and there. <laughs> I'm so done with David Price. Me too. <laughs> All right, guys. So just enough. Dodgers you know, are on the verge. Time. Dodgers are on the verge of winning 108 games. Maybe they get to 110 plus because they got six games coming up with the Colorado Rockies. You have to imagine they're going to win at least three of those, if not more. I mean, how are you going to remember this season for the Dodgers? Let's not let's not talk about postseason and let that spoil on it. Let's just live in the present. Like, what does that mean as a Dodgers fan to have your team go three consecutive full seasons of first setting the franchise record of 106 and now breaking that? Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 455 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast.
Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You know what's interesting is that the first 106 in 2019 and this 107, 108 in 2022 felt similar in a way because of the absolute dominance that the Dodgers had throughout the entire season. The weird one was 21 because it didn't feel that way because of the way that the giants were playing. So I didn't enjoy 21 at all. And when they wound up with 106 wins, it didn't feel that way. It felt, it felt like a grind every single night because the giants would find a way to win in the flukiest of ways And the Dodgers were constantly having to win all the way up until the last day, injuring Max Muncy and taking him out of the postseason. So I didn't really enjoy 21 at all. 19 ended in such a brutal fashion. Um, I mean, there was a lot of magic on that team. So I, you know, you had the the rookies, the back-to-back-to-back walk-off home runs with the rookies. So that was pretty incredible. And there were some really great moments uh, in 2019 during the regular season. But that first round was Dave Roberts' worst postseason pretty much ever. So that's what I remember 2019 for. But 2022 was just from, from start to finish, just an absolute clinic. I mean, the run differentials out of this world. And then the other thing that I'll remember is – you know, depending on what happens to Trey Turner this offseason is the big three. I mean, what a treat to have Mookie Betts, Trey Turner, and Freddie Freeman at the top of that lineup every single, every, pretty much every single game. I mean, there was, you know, Mookie was injured for a little bit, but those three guys every single night were, were in the lineup. And then you add Will Smith to that, who's had an incredible season himself. That's what I'm going to remember the most. Um, yeah, I, I, Jake, you hit a lot of nails on the head right there. And I just think it's been the pure dominance. And what I'm going to remember the most is when Dave made the most important tweak to that lineup. Cause I had been saying they should do this the whole time. Mookie lead off Trey in the number two spot, yeah. Freddie Freeman in the three hole. Once he did that combined with, and this was another, something else people didn't give enough credit for Will Smith as the cleanup hitter. Yeah. Four through six through the first three months of the season was a disaster. Justin Turner wasn't hitting. Muncie wasn't hitting. Smith was batting six for some reason. Bellinger was up there. Exactly. Bellinger was up there. They were trying everything that they could to get the best out of him. But once they figured out uh, putting Freeman in as that three spot, Trey Turner, even though he was driving in runs, Trey Turner was perfectly doing a perfectly good job, perfectly capable in that three spot, but it made more sense for the dynamic of the lineup. Freddie Freeman in the three spot, Will Smith clean up, everything else followed from there. And now Muncie and Justin Turner have both found their stride over the last couple of months in that five, six hole. So it's really put together. But I thought that tweak, just that one small tweak really got the engines going on this offense. And that's what led to a dominant season. But one more thing I'm going to mention too, how underrated and underappreciated Julio Urias' season has been. He got off to a slow start. Dylan Hernandez writing. Basically, it's the end of days uh, for Julio Urias. And I'm like, 
dude, you're calling it end of days. It's April 5th. Calm the hell down over there. And I know Dylan a little bit. So, but you know, Hey, that that's what the guy does. He's basically uh, the Jeff Goldblum of the LA times, you know, doomsday scenario central over there. Uh, but my point being with that is Julio got off to a slow start. So did Walker Bueller. The only difference was Julio did a massive 180 in a positive direction to the point where I think he should be a finalist for the NL Cy Young award winner. And we know what happened to Bueller just one of those years. Hopefully he comes back healthy next year, but those are the two uh, aspects of the season. I'll remember most uh, as a Dodger fan. Yeah. I mean, that that four through eight, which was brought up with the exception of Will Smith was just a giant black hole in the Dodgers lineup. And then you had to wait all the way to the nine hole for Gavin Lux, who was actually having a great start to the season. And so um, basically, you know, you had Mookie Freeman, Trey, and then Gavin Lux. And I think once the, once the Muncie's and the JT's and of course, Will Smith really got it going. That's when this Dodger season flipped the script and they started just killing opposing pitchers to death with the run production. Yeah. I'm going to remember this season as the season, the mom and pop little engine that could Dodgers kind of just took over led by Tony Gonsolin drafted homegrown later round pick Tyler Anderson outcast that nobody wanted. Everybody was like, Oh, what is this guy going to do? Those two guys have carried along, obviously along with Arias has carried this pitching staff, Evan Phillips. Nobody wanted him. We claimed him from the Rays, Vesia from, uh, for Dylan Floro, everybody in the bullpen, Yancy Almonte, nobody wanted him. The mom and pop little engine that could Dodgers homegrown 108 uh, wins so far. That is what I'm going to remember. Yeah, you're going to get Mookie Betts. Yeah, I'm being a little sarcastic. You got Mookie Betts, Trey Turner, and Freddie Freeman. But that's not the only reason this team is good. This team is good because they draft well, they scout well, they develop well, and they tweak players, veteran players who have been in the big leagues to cater to their strengths. That is what the Dodgers do the best. Yeah, so the Dodgers in 2019 won the division over the Arizona Diamondbacks by 21 games. They're on the verge of being in the division lead by 22 games. So even more of a dominance. And that's kind of crazy given the fact that, well, the San Francisco Giants won 107 last year. They are eliminated from playoff contention. The San Diego Padres, the media darlings, supposed to have the next big three. Well, we know what happened to Fernando Tatis Jr. and Juan Soto really hasn't panned out. They're just in a completely different class than the Dodgers. My biggest uh, takeaway, of course, is when the Dodgers traded Mitch White at the trade deadline. Just me- just messing. But... <laughs> oh, that's cool. I'm so that's glad cold. you were messing with us on that one. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, once they traded him, it was great to watch the start. Ruth sailing, baby. But no, I mean, uh, bit, I will say bit... this. Can I can I say this to to David? I I'm shocked that you that you changed your tune on Craig Kimbrell before Mitch White. What do you mean before? I'm saying that you still support Mitch White as as a as a good pitcher. He's really not been since Mitch he went White to needs to be on the Dodgers. Okay, everything what? Mitch White does in Toronto is a moot point. Mitch White on the Dodgers is a good pitcher. Yeah. Okay. Just like hold on, hold on J- to that point. Trace Thompson on the Dodgers is exactly. a good is a good player. Matt so Kent, I, I got same you back thing. On that. What what? Why not Craig? You know, why not? Was all, why not? Because uh, Craig was already starting. I mean, guys, go back to the 2018 World Series. The guy barely pitched. Yeah. The closers were whoever was the fourth day starter, whether it be David Price, Nathan Ovaldi, or Chris Sale, or Joe Kelly. It wasn't 
uh, Craig Kimbrell. He was starting to come apart then. I mean, that's just the truth right there. Yeah, he had a little bit of resurgence with the Chicago Cubs, uh, and then that's about it. So, look, I, it's we're, we're talking as if he's completely off the playoff roster, but it would not surprise me to see him on there. And I could see them use him in a role like what they did in today's game. Lower inning, fifth, sixth, seventh inning at most, facing right-handed hitters. Yeah. And Problem the lower, is, and the lower, sorry to interrupt, and the lower no, no. part of the order too. Yeah. From six through nine, yeah. Way too risky. I'm, I'm going to have the assumption that the Dodgers are only leading these games by two or three runs, and there's way too much videotape on Craig Kimbrell crumbling, crumbling in those moments. I mean, the bullpen, you just lay it all out there. We've already done it. Canely, Almonte, Phillips, Martin, Vesia, Ferguson, Gratterall. That's like seven arms right there. Why do I need a Craig Kimbrell? I'm just saying it wouldn't surprise me to see him on there. I would be shocked. I, I might riot. So you're right as a citizen, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah, Julio Urias, he pitched a Wednesday, six shutout innings. There was a jam in the bottom of the six where he had runners at the corners, first and third, one out, was able to get out of it. He now preserves his NL best, 217 ERA. And I saw a cool stat online earlier this morning that if he's able to hold it, he'd be the first Mexican-born pitcher ever to lead his league in ERA. Not even Fernando Valenzuela was able to accomplish that feat. And I said it a, I said it a week ago. I still think he could be the Cy Young Award winner. I know Alcon. Alcantara is the front runner because everyone goes to sleep and he's pitched way more innings, but man, Julio is the ace, the predominant ace without a doubt. Dave Roberts has already indicated that Urias and Kershaw will start the last two games of the season and won't say what the order will be between the two, but he's pretty much hinting that Urias and Clay and Kershaw are your games one and two starters come NLDS. Yeah, so from 21 to 22, Julio Rios is 37 and 10 with a 258 ERA. That's first in wins. The next closest is Adam Wainwright with 28 and first in ERA. And the next closest is Sandy Alcantara, 2.74. So these last two years have been electric and he has no accolades to show for it. No all-star appearances, no Cy Youngs, nothing. So I, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping they reward him with the Cy Young this year, I still think it's going to be Alcantara just because of, you know, whatever you want to call it. I mean, he's had a phenomenal year as well, but Julio Arias absolutely deserves it. Even if he doesn't get it, that's a Cy Young caliber season. That's amazing that he's not made an all-star team yet. And he's yep. been the, the, <laughs> the best pitcher on this team on the Dodgers on the, on the team, on the best team in baseball. That's it's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the Dodgers offense has kind of been sleepy the first two games of the series. In game one against the Padres, they went one for 17 with runners in scoring position. They left 14 men on base. Justin Turner and Chris Taylor had a few errors in that game. The second game, they went one for nine with runners in scoring position. And that only one came through because they had the ghost runner in the 10th inning, Freddie Freeman, able to drive home the go-ahead run. And that was the difference in that game. Joey Gallo really struggled against the Joe Musgrove start four strikeouts. He left yeah. eight Dodgers on base since coming over to the Dodgers. He actually has a higher K rate than when he did on the Yankees right now. He's basically striking out. Is that right? 
Yeah, he's striking out basically 50% of the time. Christ. It, I mean, it feels like it. I know. Well, obviously, because we're watching him every day, but all of the highlights we saw coming out of New York was just were was just brutal. I didn't know it was worse in terms of the K rate here. Yeah, the K rate is worse. He he's getting um, on base slightly better batting average, but the strikeouts and it's not even really him chasing. He's swinging at a lot of pitches that are in the middle of the zone. He's just completely off for some reason. I. I don't know what they're going to do with him other than he'll make the postseason roster as a reserve. So uh, Miguel also asked, will Joey Gallo be a Dodger next year? Uh, probably not. If I was to guess right now, I think he's just a rental. Yeah, I would say that too. I don't, I don't see him coming back, but I would say to the point about the offense, it's hard to tell. It's hard to judge the offense over these last couple of games because there's there's nothing to play for um whereas with joey gallo he is fighting for playing time and fight and and no guarantee that he's going to make the roster or the postseason roster which you know we can kind of assume that he probably will but again it's like that's not guaranteed for him so i i i would say that you can judge those guys the guys that are kind of on the fringe trying to make that postseason roster but in terms of the overall offense the main guys i don't know if i can really judge them based on on this it is a little concerning because we because we know what happened last year with the offense just absolutely disappeared but if you remember in the early part of the season when they kind of weren't getting it together they were kind of not necessarily slumping but they weren't they, they hadn't clicked on all cylinders yet and there was that series in cincinnati and they had like a team meeting or something and then after that team meeting they freaking turned it on and just boat raced everybody. And I think that that's encouraging to me only because I know that when push comes to shove, when this team needs to perform, they can. And so that's why I'm not that worried about the kind of slide that we've seen offensively. I, I agree. I, I think I would really like to see them kind of turn it up in this, this Colorado series to end, to end the season. Um, I think it, it, it does take a little bit of, you know, the purpose out of it. Once you clinch the division, the one seed home field advantage. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's fair to take the foot off the pedal for a little bit, but I, I think they do need to really get back into that competitive mode for this Colorado series. And that includes, uh, you know, starting these guys pretty much every day also. Yeah. Because you, you, if you think about it, once the season ends, they've got a, like a, five day break or something exactly, like that yeah. until the, until the division series. If you be Frank is asking the listeners or sorry, he's the listener. He's asking us who is starting game three of the NLDS. And to piggyback off that to, to Roscoe 94, how would you feel about the Dodgers potentially lining up three straight left-handed starters? Should they mix it up by throwing a right-hander in there? And then he came on the show recently, Steve M Dodge 16 underscore 12. Why all the hate for Tyler Anderson coming from Dodger fans? So I, I don't know about I saw that, that question, but I, I, I guess I'm unaware. I didn't know there was hate out there for him. Is there, I have not really seen any either this late into the game, maybe like months ago when it was me, but not now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Months I, ago, I, months I mean, ago I, when I it was me. I think the second question answered the first question. It's going to be Tyler Anderson if they're going to go with Kershaw uh, game two. And if not, they'll go with 
Tyler Anderson game two and Kershaw game three. But no, it's not a concern for me that they're going to throw three straight lefties, which they for sure are going to do. Um, you throw your best arms out there. And, you know, Tony Gonsolin was one of your best arms in the first half. And, you know, we haven't seen him in months or a month and a half, whatever it's been. And he's not going to be built up fully. Maybe you can get four innings out of him in game four and kind of and kind of, you know, figure out the pieces of the rest of the game with with this bullpen, which you can do. But you need to throw your best three starters in the first three games. And that's what they're going to do. And they happen to be all left handed right now. I agree. Yeah, I, I I would say that regardless of, of the opponent, I would go with Anderson in game three. But I got to think that that whoever the opponent is that the Dodgers are going to face, they'll they'll adjust accordingly. And also it, it does depend on how good Tony Gonsolin is feeling. How good does he look when they because he's he's supposed to come back and pitch and pitch like three to four innings soon. So Monday. I think, yeah, on Monday. So I think it, I think it depends on what, what he looks like because you may want to disrupt the lefty, lefty, lefty so that the other team doesn't get, you know, comfortable with setting their lineup the way that they want every single game. But again, even if you do start with three lefties in a row, which I, I, I agree with you, David, I think that that's what they'll do. The Dodgers have such a great bullpen. They can mix and match the rest of the game. If, if that, starter were to get into trouble or just if you know the starter goes six innings and you're and you're done and so then you can make it much more difficult on that lineup in in the later part of the game yeah there's something i'll get back on that in a second but you mentioned tony gonsolin he did make his okc rehab appearance through two clean innings no trouble whatsoever and they're pretty optimistic that they're going to be able to build him up for four innings come nlds I uh, I never wrote this guy off. I fully did believe he was going to come back. I am fully confident he's going to be very effective. It, it's definitely rolling the dice after not seeing a guy for six weeks or whatever, and he hasn't really been stretched out. But the name of the game is just getting 27 outs. And if Tony Gonsolin is your essentially extended opener in round one and he gets you nine, 12 outs, we already talked about the bullpen. I feel very good about them locking down the door and getting those other 15 and with Dustin May now going on the IL, some question marks if he will even make the first round in general. I think since he's playing catch and starting to throw again, I think he will have some type of bullpen role. And I've always been kind of adamant that that's what he his purpose was going to be to begin with, just because he's been kind of inconsistent and been battling injuries, not only coming back from the Tommy John surgery, but after his third or fourth start, he had a sore arm, so they had to push him back. And now the lingering back issue one through three, Kershaw, Urias, Anderson, whatever order, those all feel like wins. And Tony Gonsolin and a, kind of a mixed bullpen game. You got to feel pretty good going into October with that. Yeah, I mean, I, hopefully we don't even see game four. I mean, those three, those three first starters have been so good recently that you may not even need a game four. If the offense shows up, you may not even have this dilemma or this discussion that needs to even be had. So if it's basically for me, I, I know what we're going to get from these starters, you know, barring a, a collapse, you're going to get six innings, two to three runs max from Arias. Same thing with Tyler Anderson and Kershaw, you know, if he's healthy could be on the same level. So it's going to come down to the offense. In my opinion, I think the pitching is, is the pitching. It's been the most consistent thing, frankly, for the last two years. Uh, and the offense is going to carry this team to a championship or an early exit. And to that point, I, I feel like over the last several seasons, it's sort of been 
like the offense kind of sleepwalks through the first five, six innings, and then all of a sudden turns it on in the seventh or the eighth. I would like to see sort of a flip of the script. The offense, I would like to see come out there, establish themselves, get some runs on the board early, and just dominate how they've dominated every single team this season, except for the Pirates, which is weird. But But my point is, is that I would like to see the offense take control because as you were just saying, David, I have no, absolutely no reservations about the pitching. I think that I have as, I have as much trust in the pitching as any other season, especially the bullpen. And I don't think you're going to have to worry about that. The one thing, the one thing that can slow this team down as you already said it, which is this offense. And this is the best offense I've ever seen assembled on a Dodgers team. So that's what I'd be looking from them from the get-go, can they get runs on the board early? I think I think five is the magic number. I think if the Dodgers offense can score five runs a game, you're going to get a win in pretty much every game you play. Uh, this pitching staff and this bullpen, they don't really give up more than five runs in a game. Like, frankly, in, in a long time. I can't even remember, you know, how, how often that happens. But it seems like they're giving up one, two, three, maybe four a game. Uh, so if they can get five runs on the board in these playoff games, they're going to win the World right. Series. Chris, do you have any other takeaways from Dodgers' recent play or any, uh, yeah, anything you wanted to cover real quick? Yeah, can I just say one thing? Who here thought the Dodger bullpen was going to take a, a step back this year after the major losses that they had between – and I'm not even talking about the in-season injuries. I'm talking about who they lost in free agency. You lost Joe Kelly. You lost Corey Knable. You lost guys that were big parts of their Emily success. Jansen. Yeah, Kenley Jansen, exactly. Longtime closer. How could I forget about him? Um, and then you lose Trinan in April. Daniel Hudson blows out his knee in, in June on a, on a fluke play. Everyone thought that this bullpen was going to come apart. And this is what I was talking about, the next man up mentality. Hey, don't see this as a fearful role. Embrace this opportunity. Say to yourself, man, I get to pitch in a one-run game in the eighth inning? Let's go. And I, and I got it. That's where I think you got to credit both Josh Bard and Mark Pryor as well for getting these guys to embrace that challenge, embrace that, 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 that pressure. Because I think that's another aspect that a lot of people haven't talked about is how good this bullpen has been with a bunch of relatively no namers, you know, like Willie Mays Hayes says, not bad for a couple of has beens and a couple of never will be's, you know, that's pretty mm-hmm. much what this bullpen has been throughout this season for the most part. And yeah, they've gotten a lot of their key guys back, but still, when you look at this, you say to yourself, there's a lot of power arms, but they're not household names. They're only household names to us and to Dodger fans. Cause we've seen them night in and night out what they're capable of doing. And, and it's going to be a, a, a good problem to have, but a difficult decision who to put on and who to leave off. But Craig Kimbrell definitely should not be on that list. That's for sure. My favorite kind of bullpen is guys who you wouldn't even recognize on the street. They just come in and do their job, go home to their wife and kids, pick up some groceries, put some milk in the fridge, get three outs in the eighth inning, do it again the next day. And you, when you look at a lot of the World Series champion teams over the last 10, 11 years, they haven't had the big names on it. Like, I remember Yankees, they sunk millions and millions of dollars into guys like Zach Britton and Aroldis Chapman and Chad Green and guys like that, only to get them what? Nowhere. They still haven't gone to a World Series since 2009. Go back to the 2011 St. Louis Cardinals, Mark Zebchinski, right? Arthur Rhodes, uh, Octavio Dotel, Jason Mott. 
These guys were dominant. Young Lance Lynn, nobody had heard of him. These guys dominated the bullpen for the St. Louis Cardinals. A big reason why they won that World Series championship. So I agree with David. I'm agreeing with you a lot tonight. I don't know what it is, uh, but we've been on the same wavelength. Uh, no name guys in the bullpen that just kind of sneak up on you. They're able to. Uh, they're they're able to sometimes get hot and do well in October. Yeah, I mean, look at the Braves last year. Tyler Matzik. I mean, who the hell was that? He was living in a van by the river a couple years ago, and then he's closing out World Series games. I'm so glad we got a Mark Dubchinsky reference on this podcast. <laughs> I was waiting for it, and I was like, only Chris would bring that up. You're in welcome, vault, Jake. Dude, just in the file cabinet. In the place, right here. <laughs> just so locked in. Chris is bringing the fire tonight. <laughs> in the words of Ricky Bobby, yeah, bring the heat. <laughs> Jake and bake. Uh, good stuff. Well, was, was there anything else we were supposed to cover? Cause it's been, it's been a, it's been a good, it's been a good day. It has. Uh, Vessia got out of that jam. That was good. So I think Bruce Star Gratterall might be the first Dodgers opener this season, which is kind of wild given how many they used a year ago. Yeah, it was terrorism last year. <laughs> but I kind of think this is forecasting for something that we might potentially see in the postseason and, Andrew Heaney coming out of the pen, uh, second inning bulk guy. We'll get into that later. But I think this is more of a test of Bruce Sargrado. Is he comfortable starting the first inning, getting the three outs, getting no damage? Because we saw it last season against the Giants. Dave Roberts was not afraid to change it up and start Corey Knebel as openers because it wasn't Julio Urias who started that game five. It was Corey Knebel. And so I think if the Dodgers get matched up against the Braves in the NLDS and maybe it's a Tyler Anderson start, we know that the Braves are pretty right-handed heavy. Maybe they're going to actually open the game up with a Gratterall or someone else, let's say, because Acuna, Riley, if you can uh, analytics say you don't want your lefty facing a right-hander three times, well, maybe they're going to go with an opener. It's definitely possible. You know, I, I think this is more of a game four type experiment. But I could, I could definitely see it happening. I mean, like you said, you don't want your guys face getting all these looks against these these power right-handed hitters if, if you're left-handed, which we just stated. Dodgers have three left-handed starters going to go games one, two, and three. I don't think they're going to do it for Arias and Kershaw. Uh, I still don't think they're going to do it for Anderson. But I think this is a real litmus test for Gratterall and Heaney uh, to see how they perform in this situation, to see if this is a viable option to go with in game four. Uh, you know, cause like we said last episode, I think Heaney has what seven or eight relief appearances in his career. So it is, it is a change, but like, you know, Kevin just said, this is avoiding Manny Machado, the first inning. So you only have to face him once or twice for your whole outing. So I like what they're doing. All right. Well, this is kind of a, a different topic question, but I, I appreciate it from Checo 14. Great hearing that James Altman interview. Um, so he's asking us who would be your dream guest, whether it's someone baseball related or non-baseball related. That's a good question. That is a really good question. Dream guest. I mean, baseball related, I, I think it would have to be Kershaw for sure. But I'm trying to think of someone who's not baseball related. I would say if I would say Dodgers related, I would, I would, love to have Kershaw or Justin Turner. 
Um, even, I mean, you know, Freddie Freeman would be great. Trey Turner, Kershaw Mookie, would be a Mookie lot of Betts. pressure. I mean, any of the stars would be awesome. Having Kershaw would be a lot of pressure. I mean, I was just on the field for batting practice like two weeks ago, standing five feet away from him, and I couldn't even say anything. It was I, I froze. I, you I, blew it. I I blew it. I couldn't even say anything. So I don't know how I'd react if he was on the podcast. But <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think that's my answer. I'd be pretty pissed at you if you were speechless on the podcast. That'd be kind of awkward. Yeah, I might I might give you a tighten it up look yep. or something. Yeah, my yep. my answer is Clayton Kershaw, and that ties into just me saying he's been so good this season. I mean, we're talking about a guy who has a two forty two ERA. The slider and the curveball look the best it really has in years. Just the amount of spin rate and the whiffs it's getting. Even his fastball is in the top tier spin rate in that category. He's near the bottom in barrel percentage and has one of the highest K rates in the sport. So 15 years later, Clayton Kershaw is still one of the best in the game. He's thrown his slider more than his fastball this year. Yeah, he's, you don't see that too often. He's been doing that more in the last couple of seasons, kind of like Jacob deGrom. Um, and then another good question coming from Chief Joy 720 Should Austin Barnes be catching more games in the playoffs while Will Smith DHs? Interesting stat that he wrote wrote out. Smith has an OPS over 1,100 as a DH and 742 as a catcher. That's a really good question. It is. However, and, and that's what they did uh, in 2020. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's a tough one because do you, do you want the extra bat in the lineup or do you prefer to have the better catcher behind the plate your game caller behind the plate? That's a tough one. I think that it ha- it's going to be based on the matchup. If, if the, if the Dodgers feel that another batter in on the bench can give them a better chance to score more runs, then I would put Smith at catcher. But if they feel that um, Austin Barnes gives them a better chance to win on a given night, maybe, maybe he's maybe Kershaw feels more comfortable with Barnes. We know that to be the case in the past, although he has been pitching to both of them this year, that could be, that that could certainly be the case. I mean, it, I could go, I could go either way, but I would say that ultimately it's based on the matchup. Yeah. I, th- I think they'll consider it for Kershaw's start in game two. Uh, but you also got to factor in the defense because yes, you're going to get the better game caller, arguably the better defender behind home plate. Uh, but you're also going to get Max Muncy at second base if you do that. Uh, and he's, he's been proven to be a solid second baseman, no doubt. And you're also, what that also means is you're going to get Justin Turner at third base. Uh, and we've seen him struggle defensively this year. We have. Um, so factoring in that factor as well, I don't think you're going to see it too often. I really don't. Uh, Barnes has proven himself capable at the plate. Uh, it's not about really Austin Barnes's offensive ability. It's about how you mix in the guys who are going to start every day, which is Justin Turner and Max Muncy. I mean, in, in that scenario, you just painted arguably the worst defense would be on the field. If Austin Barnes catches overall. Yep. yep. So I, I actually agree with you because I, I would, if you can DH either Muncy or Turner, I would much prefer that. You can't do it though. You're not Smith is going to be in the lineup every game for sure. No, I'm saying that that's why, that's why I would start Smith behind the plate. Yeah. 
I don't really want to see Max Muncy playing second base. That dropped ball against the Phillies still scars me to this day. One of the reasons they should be at 108 or 109 wins right now. But, you know, it's kind of funny because Austin Barnes is giving you better at bats than what Cody Bellinger has given you all season. So if they had to choose between Barnes and Bellinger, I, I feel like they're almost even at this point. But on the Smith front, he's really kind of broken out as a great uh, play caller himself and pretty good defensively. And, you know, for sure he has a cannon. It's really tough for runners to score on him this season or to steal on him this season. Yeah, he does have the better arm for sure. Yeah, so the arm strength is there. The pop-up, that's kind of a newer advanced stat. He's one of the best popping up. And, yeah, obviously if he's crushing it, crushing it as DH, you can't really argue with that number of 1,100, but I don't know. I think I think he's earned the right to be pretty much the everyday catcher with maybe the exception of Kershaw, but I think you're not losing much of an edge at this point starting Smith over Barnes as your catcher. And um, what was I going to say? No, I guess, yeah, I guess that's it. I, I guess uh, Will Smith's earned my trust. He can be the everyday catcher. Yeah. All right. Um, is there anything else you guys want to do your out of left field? Or I know, David, you had something you were eager to rant about. So, yeah, I, I mean, I have an out of left field, but I also have an idiot of the week. So I'm going to do the idiot of the week first. Let's um, do it. Let's get into it. This is his second time winning. And if you've been on Twitter the past three days, you know what the hell I'm talking about. What the hell is wrong with Ben Verlander? <laughs> what is he doing? I knew it was coming. So he, for those of you who don't, who didn't see this, he, he went over to Japan to like cover Shohei Otani's life and past and all this stuff. And Bob Nightingale, bless his soul, wrote an article about Ben Verlander's trip. And I'm going to read you some of these quotes. Pete, this is from Ben Verlander. People in Japan aren't the most outspoken. They don't speak up, don't speak boldly. So I am their voice on the other side of the world. How can you not be affected by that? When I was over there, I was blown away by the response. It was unbelievable. There were grown adults coming to see me, some traveling four hours coming to see me for meetups. There were gifts, magazines, posts with my picture on them. And then he continued. There were kids who broke into tears. One burst into tears and couldn't bring herself together. I was blown away. It was emotional for me. It was emotional for them. There's more, but holy shit. What kind of complex is this? This is like a, a he's acting like a missionary was sent over there to, to give these poor people a salvation. You are a two-bit journalist who has a job because his brother is in baseball. This is preposterous. This is one of the worst. I, I, I don't even know what to say. And, and the media is like propping this up. They're going to air like a Ben Verlander Shohei Otani special after one of these NL, NLDS games. What is happening? How are we letting this happen? How, how is this? How are, as a society, how are we letting this happen? This cannot go on. You know, I, and then I saw that, uh, that JP Hoonstra who covers the Dodgers, he posted a, um, a screenshot of an email that he had received from Fox sports to take on this story and to interview Ben Verlander about this. And I guess Bob Nightingale took the bait and did that. And to me, I, I put a lot, I put some responsibility on Bob Nightingale. I mean, this guy, he's, he's a veteran. He's a veteran baseball writer. He's been around, he's been around the game long enough. 
the fact that he made the piece more about Ben Verlander going to Japan than about Shohei Otani, which I think was the point of the article. And if you I would read, hope so. And if you read the headline, that's what you would believe if you would have read the article that it was going to be about Shohei Otani. It was not. It was about Ben Verlander going over to Japan, which who cares about that? And look, whether or not whether or not those quotes are true or if those things actually happen the way he reported them. There's regard- no way that but hold on. Happened. But hold on. If if that is if that if those quotes were true. What what does that have to do with anything? What, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what does that have to do with Shohei Otani? Nothing. Exactly. So nothing. But so that's why I put I put some responsibility on Bob Nightingale, because he should know better. He should he should be better. We know what Ben Verlander is. We know what he's trying to do. We know what the machine at Fox Sports is trying to to do. We know he's got good representation and he's got a really good agent um, who's pushing his stuff out there. So we get all of that. But like you're saying, why are we letting this happen? We we need to be better. Bob Nightingale needs to be better. I mean, I, I don't need to be better. I, I am not responsible for this. No, whatsoever. I'm saying I'm saying the people that, you know, like Bob Nightingale, that that no, I are know. I'm just, putting I just together. make it clear that I am I am fighting the good fight on this front. I am a I am a soldier on this crusade to stop Ben Verlander's tyranny. I mean, this has gone on long enough. I mean, ha- I, I could not believe those quotes were real. I was floored when you <laughs> sent that to me. You yeah. sent it in the group chat. I, I had to read it twice. I was like, there's no way he said this and there's no way this happened. And it, honestly, if you read the article, it's even worse than that. I, I would not dignify that with a click. I'm sorry. Well, I, I did for part of the problem. But holy shit, like this needs to stop. I'm here so I don't get fined. That's my two cents. <laughs> All right. Well, remember when he slid thanks, in my thanks, DMs Marshawn. too? What? That was that was super weird when he slid in my DMs. Also, when we when? the three of us actually went to that game and we saw him, and I like tweeted like something like, "Well, I just saw Ben Verlander, so the game can only get better." And then like the next day, he like slid in my DMs. I was like, "Hey, why didn't you say hi?" I thought that was thought I saw you. I'm like, "What?" Like, so he's a name stop. searcher too. Yeah, like seriously, just stop. All and of then it, he everything. And then he also threw out the first pitch at the Angels game. Oh, yeah. Like, what are we, what is happening? What is happening? I don't understand it. I don't get it either. And it, and it, and it pisses me off too, because, you know, there are a lot of people that work really freaking hard to get to where they are. And, you know, it, he just doesn't, that's just not him. And, and that's what's really frustrating about it. And he's kind of catapulted himself to become this celebrity and then apparently some God Jesus like figure in, in yeah. overseas. Like I, I don't God, get it, bro. He's the Messiah traveling across foreign lands to see me. And they cried as they, they burst into tears. Once they made eye contact with my face, God, they fucking didn't. There's no way. I'm sorry. There's no way. <laughs> they didn't do that. No way. I refuse never to believe that. Happened. I refuse to live in a world where that actually happened. All right. <laughs> I have a question for you guys, actually. Yeah, um, it's about Trey Turner. So obviously, we know that the off season is going to be here before we know it. We know he's going to probably end up, as far as I could see, he's going to be the co-pilot in that uh, free agent class along with Aaron Judge. Is he coming back? 
And if he doesn't, where would you go to replace him? There's some good names out there. I'm going to start this one off. I, I think he's for sure coming back. I, I think there's going to be suitors, but I think he's going to want to stay in LA. And I think the Dodgers can pay him. And I'll give you two reasons why Cody Bellinger and Walker Bueller, two guys you had planned to shell out well over a hundred million dollar contracts, maybe $200 million contracts too. And now you might not, not have to do either. Bueller's going to be out for all of 2023. He'll be a free agent, I believe, after 2024. Uh, so they're they're kind of playing with house money on that one. Uh, and Cody Bellinger, I mean, he's got one more year in his contract, but unless you know he does a complete 180, that's that contract's not going to be worth a lot of money. So there's room in this Dodgers long-term plan to pay Trey Turner. I don't think he wants to leave. I think they're going to willing be willing to go to 250, 270 million. And I don't think he's going to leave the Dodgers for 30, 45, $45 million difference. If the Phillies or someone wants to offer him that extra one or two years, there's no Scott Boris in this equation. He's comfortable in LA. He wants to be, I'm assuming he wants to be on a winning team and the Dodgers are built to succeed for the next 10 years. Let me ask a devil's advocate question. What if he shits the bed in the playoffs again? Does that factor into whether they bring him back or not? I I am one who does not put any stock into playoff stats. I think it's a crapshoot. I don't think there's any this player. I mean, there, there's a couple instances, but I think generally, I don't think there's a this player shines in the playoffs and this player is notoriously bad in the playoffs. And we saw I know, David. Year. I've, I've yeah. heard you make I've heard you make arguments before the about kettle, that. that. The kettle pot is so black there because all you do is talk about Cody Bellinger. We can't give up because he I comes said there was the a few exceptions. I there's, did say there no, was a few exceptions. There's no cherry picking here. It's one there way or the other. Is. There's a few no, exceptions. Absolutely not. Yeah. Well, why doesn't why doesn't it matter with Trey? Because you saw AJ Pollock last year. I mean, he was he was the worst player of all time in the playoffs. And then last year he was arguably the Dodgers best player. No. Oh, let's not make no. st- Chris Taylor was the best player followed by Cody Bellinger. AJ Pollock, Pollock was on. He Pollock hit over 350 no, no. in the playoffs. Pollock was, he's right about that. Especially in that NLCS. He showed out, especially in that series, not in game two, multiple times. He had a runner on third. I mean, less than one out. He didn't drive less than two outs. I mean, he did not drive home the runner and that's why they lost that game. You could make the argument that was also bad management of uh, starting pitching when Dave was trying to get too cute with Julio Rios. I think that was another that factored into it. And I'm also going back to game one. But the reason why the Dodgers lived to fight another day in that series was because of AJ Pollock. But last year was a bit of an outlier. And going back to your points, no, look they... at two guys. Look at two guys who won the uh, series MVP. Eddie Rosario in the tw- 2021 NLCS MVP. And yep. then Jorge Soler in the world, the world series MVP. What do those guys do this year for Atlanta? I'll wait. Yeah. They live to fight another day. Cause Chris Taylor had a monster three home run game. Yeah. But Pollock hit two as well. It's apples and oranges. They were, they were the two Dodgers, the Dodgers, two best players by far. It was Chris Taylor, I Cody think, Ballinger, and then maybe AJ Pollock. I think it does matter who shows up when the lights are the brightest. I really do. I mean, that, that is, I'm not saying it doesn't matter. I'm just saying there's no rhyme or reason to it generally. Okay. So Jake, let me ask you a question. If you were then, let's just say you're Andrew Friedman. He, he shits the bed in the, um, in, in the, uh, in the postseason again, would you divert those resources to Dansby Swanson and, or, uh, Xander Bogarts? Not Xander Bogarts, but really? No, because I, 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 if, if, if we're, if, I don't know, I just, 
his his fielding doesn't really He's not uh, an upgrade over Trey in any metric whatsoever. Yeah, I I I think that I think that Bogarts is not in the same class as Trey Turner. Swan- but, Swanson's an overpay at this point. But but Swans but Swanson could could be a great fit. I mean, he's a terrific shortstop, and yeah. he had a had somewhat of a breakout year this year. Um, and you know, good friends with Walker Bueller, blah blah blah. And Freddie. I think I think he'd be I think he'd be a great fit. I I would like to see Trey Turner back on the Dodgers, and I think the I think context matters though because you know if Trey Turner doesn't show up in the in the postseason and the Dodgers end up winning the World Series, I then it's inconsequential. But if but if he you know comes up in big spots, this you know has a huge has huge errors. I mean. That that's a lot. I mean, that's that you know, you're you're gonna be paying, you know, close to 300 million, if not 300 million for him. Don't you want a guarantee that he's going to show up in the postseason, not only with the bat but with the glove? I mean, that's a lot of money to give a player. So that I think it does factor in somewhat. There's no guarantees. And just for the record, last year, AJ Pollock in the NLCS was eight for 21 with a 381 batting average and 1100 OPS in the, in the NLDS 273, 697 uh, OPS. So he was, he, he flipped his complete, completely flipped his whole damn narrative. So I think personally, I think Trey Turner is going to do the same thing this year, but even if he doesn't, I'm not concerned. He can always do it another postseason. It only takes one. One Carlos Correa. I don't think Trey Turner is coming back to the Dodgers and I don't think they're going out of the house to replace him. I think it'll be internal candidates. I've already alluded to this. Gavin Lux is capable of becoming their shortstop with Michael Bush being the future second baseman. And then you got Miguel Vargas to throw into the mix. Maybe I think he can potentially learn some second or who knows, but regardless, I think the Dodgers are more inclined to let Trey walk and maybe go after a big name. And I'm talking about, Aaron judge, Mr. 61. I'm already hearing Vegas odds as the Dodgers in second with the best odds to pursue Aaron judge. And why not go after, first of all, he's a great defensive outfielder. The Dodgers are going to need potentially two outfielders next season. If Cody Bellinger is gone and who knows with Chris Taylor, he's having a pretty disappointing season, but they just signed Chris Taylor. You're stuck. You're you're stuck. Yeah. Yeah. And guess where Chris Taylor can also play second base. Mm Mm-hmm. Kind of. Aaron Judge is too big, dude. What? Well, I don't see how that's an argument. He's, he gets hurt. He's too Aaron big. Aaron Judge destroys left-handed pitching. And what are the Dodgers? Something they could always use? A guy that hits home runs and destroys left-handed pitching. You put Mookie, Freeman, and Judge at your top three, we might be talking about the new murderer's row. Yeah. And don't forget, Brandon Immo's is going to be floating out there too. Underrated. Good, good center like fielder, him. good contact hitter, a guy that he can... needs to stop running to first base on walks, though. That needs to stop. <laughs> okay. yeah, as long as he's walking, I'm good with that. <laughs> <laughs> Still think the Dodgers are going after Shohei Otani, but we have to be patient on that. Yeah. Um, well, we're Just running out of this year for Christ's sake. Well, Chris Camello, thank you so much for joining the Incline Dodgers tonight. Uh, we'll have you on soon once this postseason gets started. Sounds good. Thanks again for having me. Always a pleasure. And uh, hey, Go blue. That's right. right. Thanks everyone for listening. Subscribe to the Incline Dodgers wherever you get your podcasts and please give us a five-star rating. We need it. Go Dodgers.
Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.